Who knows what Jay-Z, J.K. Rowling, Bill Gates and Oprah Winfrey all have in common? OK, I will tell you then. They have all overcome failure in one shape or form to go on to gain success in their respective careers. Welcome to My Perfect Failure. Join us as we delve into the world of our perfect failures. We will interview, explore and discuss how our perfect failures can lead us to success. Join us and tune in. Welcome everybody to another edition of My Perfect Failure. Today we have another fabulous guest. My guest today is the co-founder Feminist Internet, a non-profit advancing internet equalities for women and all other marginalized groups. She's the founding director of EVEN, providing applied ethics for the next generation of business. She's been nominated by the Evening Standard as one of the most influential people in technology and science in London in 2018. Hopefully I've got that date correct. She has been quoted and featured in noted publications such as The Guardian, The Evening Standard, BBC Radio 4, Days Digital, CBBC, Mary Claire and The Londoner Magazine, presented at TEDx, which I loved the interview, Internet Age Media, Hans Lyon Festival of Creativity, Barbados Internet Governance Forum. So today I'm delighted to welcome to my perfect failure, Dr. Charlotte Webb. How are you, Charlotte? I'm very well, thank you. I'm just reading your bio, thinking how much you've done. <laughs> yeah, um, thanks so much for that lovely introduction. Um, I'm Just to tell you a little bit about myself... I'm a kind of hybrid creative practitioner, researcher, educator. Really, I work at the intersection of art and design, technology and feminism. And I've sort of arrived there after a number of years working in the creative industries, working in education, studying for my PhD, which was about how the role of the artist has changed in light of the Internet and the way that that shifted cultural production. And yeah, as you as you beautifully introduced, I co-founded Feminist Internet a couple of years ago. Um, it actually started as a university project, but it's evolved into this nonprofit, which is really trying to, as you said, make the Internet a more equal space for all through critical and creative practice. And um, as you also said, I recently co-founded Even, which is a small ethical technology consultancy. So, yeah, sort of working in this space and really enjoying it and, yeah, having a good time. And and so so much is interesting. So the TEDx talk that you did, yeah. was that in relation to this, was it? Is that, I, I love that. I've watched it a few times, actually. And it's a, a very, it's, it sort of opens your eyes, actually. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was it was a really interesting experience. Um, the TED process is quite specific in that you're required to kind of speak and prepare in a certain way. And so you're not actually able to promote an organisation. So whilst I was talking about the concept of a feminist Internet, I wasn't able to really talk about the organisation itself. OK, but um, I had a lot of fun with the concept of the talk because I kind of came up with this idea of basically pretending to be the internet yeah, so that I could sort of I loved. take this view of an account of how the internet kind of grew up to be sexist and so that was a lot of fun and 
I also had the chance to work with um, Connor Rigby, who's an amazing graphic designer. He's actually the designer for Feminist Internet and he created some beautiful visuals for the talk as well. So, yeah, it was definitely a process and one of those things that you, you know, a few years ago, you, you don't think that you're going to be doing a TED, TED, TEDx talk, but you, you do it and you move on. <laughs> well, congratulations on that. I love the, the the talk and sort of the insights and if if I may, I'd love to share it on the show notes because I, th- I think it's important that people have a, a more of an, a knowledgeable perspective of the internet, how it's used and how we can be more powerful in terms and sort of determine essentially how the internet can be a better place. Amazing. Thank you. Yeah, please do share. That'd be great. Okay, wonderful. So everybody, <clears throat> this episode is around sort of imposter syndrome. So, you know, I'm really keen to get into that because I felt a little bit of this when putting this podcast together and Charlotte has some wonderful insights into this so the term imposter syndrome was first coined in 1978 by psychologists Pauline Clance and Suzanne Imms they defined it as a feeling of phoniness in people who believe that they are not intelligent capable or creative despite evidence that they've got high achievement which is you know, I guess a problem because people essentially won't go for their dreams or their desires or their goals because of this sort of imposter syndrome. Charlotte, do you have any initial thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's something which is incredibly common. I know that I've experienced it in the past. Sometimes I still find it to be an issue today, even though, as we were talking about a second ago, you know, I've achieved lots of things that I might not have thought possible in my life earlier on so in terms of what imposter syndrome actually is it's it's very commonly experienced as this feeling of being found out for being a fraud Mm. so you know this feeling like you know how much you don't know or that there are other people that might be more qualified or more deserving opportunities and successes than you um i think it can also be experienced as a feeling that none of the achievements that you've um, brought about were really good enough. You know, you might sort of tend to brush over things that you've done, but other people would look on, look on as really, really extraordinary achievements and just sort of dismiss them as not that big of a deal. Or you might just put the success of something down to luck. Um, and I'm sure that those types of descriptions of things that lots of your listeners can can relate to because this is a very common common problem yeah i agree i agree so 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 essentially if we've whatever we've done previously are we not yeah i think that can definitely be one characteristic of it that you you don't necessarily celebrate and kind of revel in your own success because it you, the, those feelings of success are sort of foreign and alien or that you might feel that um you this this feeling of of being a fraud means that you can't recognize the successes as your own in in some way but actually <clears throat> i really appreciated the article that you sent me by liz kimball which we could also put in the show notes yeah um she, she wrote this brilliant piece about imposter syndrome being cancelled. Um, <laughs> yeah, and what I, I think is really is brilliant. And what I think is really helpful is the way that she identifies that it's the result of living in a culture that essentially depends on our feelings of inadequacy, right? Yeah. And so 
if we want to be liberated from this set of um, issues, we have to consider that it's a symptom of a racist, sexist, capitalist culture which demands overproduction. Um, I think there's another uh, brilliant description from Christine Liu. She says it's a disease of the system, not the mind. I think that can be a really good starting point for, for recognising this isn't just something simply in our heads. This is part of the conditions of production that we live in and the society that we live in. And, um, you know, if 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 women and people from minority groups have been sort of historically silenced or had their contributions constantly seen as less valuable than the contribution of men or majorities, obviously that's going to create quite fertile ground for self-doubt um, um, and, and questions about the worthiness of our contributions. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bigger systemic problem than just something that's in your mind. That's that's quite interesting, actually. So, so, so do you think in certain quarters it helps that imposter syndrome exists because it means that there'll be people that are successful and people that aren't so successful so it keeps you know the it prevents that sort of equilibrium that balance i mean i don't i don't think you could say that it's a good thing that imposter syndrome exists um i think that it's a a symptom of unequal conditions that we live in in part you know so if we live in a culture that constantly demands us to be productive and only see success in a certain sort of framework, that's likely to become internalised over time and cause people to sort of feel feel a certain way about themselves and perhaps not necessarily celebrate success in a in a in a different framework where you might value things like honesty or integrity over, you know. Um, I don't know, revenue or popularity or more concrete, yeah. sort of tangible me- measures. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, so essentially, we can align in life and in work and whatnot. There are um, certain things that people attribute success to, mm. and there are certain things that are actually equally as important that don't get the same type of recognition. Yeah, and I guess if we understand actually that integrity honesty, loyalty, you know, solid work ethic, showing up every day, regardless of what we're facing, those are really important and really credible and important functions. Absolutely. Yeah. I that, think that's that, really, that we really shouldn't, good we shouldn't under, We shouldn't feel that are just, you know, because not everybody does that. No, and it's not always recognised in workplaces either. So I think for workplaces to sort of account for these kinds of feelings as not only a problem for productivity which they can be but also as um, real indicators of their of employee well-being that would be a really good step forward as well yeah I totally agree so psychologist Jerry Harsey his view on imposter syndrome which I felt was you know like a great statement he says on imposter syndrome says we underestimate what we can bring to a situation and we overestimate the challenge ahead of us and i i can kind of relate to that because i i kind of do that all the time right yeah yeah i think he has a really interesting perspective he sort of talks about this idea of being at a point of transition in life where there's a kind of 
disconnect between where you are in yourself and where you are in relation to work or like a project that you're facing and actually that's not a bad thing it's actually probably because you're moving on and you're growing but because it's new and you can't necessarily see a solution immediately you kind of panic and because you're in this stress mode of fight or flight mode you're much more likely to overestimate the challenge and underestimate your abilities and of course if you're tired or anxious the things that you're faced with can seem impossible so I think he makes a really good point that generally speaking self-care well-being taking care of your body and your mind are really important to help avoid kind of incorrectly assessing the challenges ahead of you and and of course that's tied into imposter syndrome mm. I mean I would say sometimes I think it's really okay and important to just take a break from constantly challenging yourself. It's it's good to know that you're going to need to learn and improve and develop throughout life. Um, and there, there's a kind of a nugget of imposter syndrome that can help you be motivated to sharpen your tools and stuff like that and, and, and learn and improve and grow. But I think it's really important that you also legitimize just pausing and taking time to find some respite at times too. Okay. And, and, and during that time, if say an example, use me as an example, if I'm going through a process where actually I know that there's, you know, I've got a goal, I've got a challenge that I know that I want to achieve. And I take that, that respite. Do you, during that period, you sort of, do you use that? Maybe give yourself some grace, but you can think strategically how I can, how, or, or maybe how I can break down that challenge that I've got in my myself into into smaller pieces to get there mm. or do we just relax or just totally disconnect from that situation at that time I think it's sort of a combination of both isn't it okay. because if you're if you're able to get your your body and your nervous system into a, a relatively calm state through whatever means works for you I mean for me it's yoga that's what saves my my mind okay. and my body um uh, as well as you know eating healthily and spending time with my partner or my friends whatever if you can get your n- nervous system and your body into that state it's much easier to do that strategic thinking and that planning without suddenly kind of jolting into flight or fight mode where you, you know you, you you look at the challenge and you kind of freak out rather than being able to take a step back and think okay this this is the way that I can break it down this is the timeline this is the mm. you know that kind of project management approach mm. yeah uh, yeah because sometimes when you have these projects or you know whether it be via work or personal projects when we when we just look at the because the, I guess we look at the end goal and if you look at the just the end goal it seems quite it seems just so daunting because you think well how am I going to get there and I know in the past I've looked at the end goal and thought actually the end goal isn't achievable I'm going to park this I'm going to park this idea there and I'm going to I sort of bin it as something where I was being totally unrealistic yeah yeah and I think that actually that comes back to another sort of characteristic of imposter syndrome which is around either sort of procrastination or really really over preparing so you know, you might look at a task and think you're not qualified or you're not capable or it's 
just too big and to just put it off just literally find anything that you can do mm. other than just sit down and face it or sometimes people will kind of go the other way and like massively over prepare so I don't know it, even if it's something like you've got a big presentation and you just think okay the only way because I'm a fraud <laughs> um I'm going to have to go to the ends of the earth to do this talk yeah. perfectly. I'm going to have to prepare it perfectly. I'm going to have to know every word. And then the talk happens and it succeeds. And then you tend to believe that you succeeded because the the anxiety and the overexertion that you put in was actually necessary. So, so then you start to think that anxiety and overexertion are necessary conditions for success to do a good talk. So you can kind of get into a bit of a cycle. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I guess they're two different characteristics, but sometimes um, they can they can both result from sort of seeing a task as being, I don't know, outside of your current capabilities. Um, but but the truth is we recognizing things that feel like they're outside of your capability as opportunities for transformation and progress mm. and placing less emphasis on perfection than as you mentioned earlier those that like what's your approach to this thing can you kind of think about the talk in terms of amazing information that you want to share rather than as something where you have to prove yourself to be brilliant can you sort of reframe the task for yourself in a way that's a bit kinder and that feels a bit more manageable yeah, no, I, I like that. That seems, I like the idea of seeing the, the situation as an opportunity mm. as opposed to to being sort of overwhelming. Overwhelming. I like that and that's something that I hadn't thought of previously. So definitely something that I will put into my relationship with imposter syndrome. So we mentioned that, that you've done a lot. Something that I've discovered, I guess, in, in research is a wonderful work you've done with the feminist internet. And forgive my pronunciation here. You, de you definitely will have to correct me. <laughs> so, it, so, so you pronounce it? FXA. FXA. Yeah. So, so I, I read around this. Think it's fantastic and quite insightful. So, do you think that females and marginalised groups? Do you think that we're potentially more predisposed to imposter syndrome? Yeah, so statistically, women are more likely to experience it than than men. Okay. But I think it's also really important to think about other factors like race class gender mm. identity as well because those intersect with gender so for example for people from minority ethnic groups there's the issue of positive discrimination to contend with as well so the feeling that the bar wasn't set as high for you or that you might be valued tokenistically rather than simply for your own achievements Basically, if you deviate from the norm, you're more likely to experience imposter syndrome because, as we sort of touched on earlier, society's conditioned you to think that you're not good enough. Um, so to go back to that sort of earlier discussion, this is about social and cultural rules that get internalised. And then, unfortunately, the emphasis is placed on people experiencing the systems they're the ones that should try and fix it rather than fixing the system itself. So I think this sort of looking at race class gender identity as intersecting factors that can contribute to to predispositions to imposter syndrome are 
really important to bear in mind. So in your life, because you're, you know, you're in quite demanding fields, mm. the fields, uh, I guess, can be top heavy in terms of male domination. So have you got tricks that you use personally to understand when imposter syndrome is kicking in and how you manage it? Um, well, in terms of sort of looking out for when it's happening, um, I guess being sort of tuned into the inner critic is one thing, you know, yeah. if it starts shouting really loudly, <laughs> um, you know that you're sort of in this territory. Um, as I as I mentioned earlier, those behavioural indicators of procrastination or over-preparation, I think they're also really good signals. You know, am I putting something off? Okay. Am I really, really over-preparing? I'm personally more of an over-preparer than a procrastinator, but I will do both. <laughs> and I will I will procrastinate with stuff that sort of looks like work as well. So, you know, that thing where you have certain tasks that you have to do yeah, and you procrastinate by doing all of the ones that aren't the one that you really, yes. really need to face. <laughs> yeah. So uh, those are, I think, indicators. Perfectionism and anxiety, I think, go hand in hand with imposter syndrome, too. So you might notice that you are being very perfectionistic or if you're feeling generally anxious, those can also be sort of signals. Um, I think, well, I kind of thinking about this podcast, I guess I've got some thoughts on what can be really helpful if if you are experiencing these things. Um and I'm not saying that I always follow my own medicine. Yeah. But some thoughts. I think, firstly, recognising that this is really common um, can be helpful in and of itself. And, and that it's partly a result of social prejudices and norms can be helpful. And also that this can be overcome. It's a condition that needs to be sort of worked on. But it's definitely something that can be that can be minimised. So I think remembering not to judge yourself, as we said earlier, only on like hard skills and outcomes. If you can also think about how you might measure yourself by your values, values, it might be honesty, it might be integrity, it might be work ethic. If these things matter to you and you're able to maintain those, even if you fail epically at some task or other, it, it might not feel like it matters so much. Um, for me, working with other people towards a collective goal can be incredibly helpful for sort of overriding self-doubt. When I feel connected to other people and I've got a sort of social purpose driving a project, I often feel like what's important is the project and the, the difference that it might make rather than me. Um, I think being really absorbed in creative work, that can be incredibly helpful. You know, when you're really into a piece of research you're making something could it even be cooking or learning or whatever it is it's really hard to focus on self-criticism if if the task at hand is very absorbing so kind of getting really interested in what you're doing yeah. can be good forget perfection it doesn't exist um i love the phrase done is better than perfect and i think that's something that can be helpful what was that sorry done is better than perfect okay. yeah um and then final thoughts I guess I've found that sort of helping other people or trying to teach something can really help you realize that you've you've actually you've got lots to offer as soon as you start to try and share 
your insights so that it can benefit other people um, it can often be a real boost and um, you know make you feel really really empowered and really good and also help someone else overcome imposter syndrome right like tell people that you're around what they're good at what you admire and and that way you're kind of contributing not only to overcoming the problem for yourself but also for other people as well so yeah those are those are some thoughts um if i could do all of those i'd probably <laughs> be in a better place you're talking i'm busily writing <laughs> writing those down because so i think in the moment it's when we're going through it we're very unless we employ what you just mentioned we can be feel quite isolated so and in those moments of isolation that's when we you know a person i can be vulnerable to sort of throw in a towel in because you know you just think i've taken on a little bit too much but if i as I, as you've mentioned employ some of the things that, that you've suggested then actually it just breaks it down and just makes the process so much more manageable like you know live you know working in line with your goals right and also if you fail epically it's not a problem because in the, very often if you break down the process from a to b where you started although ultimately i might have not reached the objective there's there will be huge strides that i've got to but i might have just not got to what i had as the end goal exactly yeah okay so something else i was keen to run by you so I was keen to get an idea about what are the consequences of biases that exist within the internet in relation to AI and chatbots for women and other marginalised groups. There's an article that you've written on this, which I felt. So, yeah, would you have a sort of a position around this? Yes, I mean, this is a huge topic, um, which is getting more and more attention in the press um, about the way that algorithmic systems embed social biases and actually amplify and reproduce those social biases through the systems themselves which is obviously a huge problem for social justice and it's happening in all kinds of sectors whether it's criminal justice system facial recognition and recruitment algorithms or or other systems healthcare algorithms um this is a a problem that regulators governments companies civil society are all trying to come together to 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 address and thinking about this podcast what i i was reflecting on was that if if we're saying that social prejudices and stereotypes lead to the internalization of feelings of inadequacy in imposter syndrome then actually algorithmic biases are basically automating imposter syndrome because they tend to reproduce and amplify these social stereotypes right yeah so if we take a recruitment algorithm for example it's the uh, amazon had to scrap theirs this is a very well-known case which was incredibly damaging for their reputation but basically their algorithm was trained on historical cvs that had been submitted to the company and they tended to be from male candidates because of existing biases in the technology industry, as well as the way that job ads for those kind of jobs are targeted at men more than women. And because of the bias in the data, the algorithm basically learned to prioritise men's CVs over women's CVs, which then reinforced those existing forms of um, inequality. And, and so the more that kind of thing happens, 
the less likely we are to progress to a, a really equal workplace. And so those messages about the relative value of men and women's work continue to get embedded, continue to get naturalized and continue to get internalized, which is exactly what we're talking about mm -hmm. with imposter syndrome. And so you see how algorithmic systems can actually have these impacts on our own subjective experience at some point down the line. And that's, of course, what we want to avoid, as well as avoiding the, the more concrete social injustices that can come about from these types of systems. That's it. That's really interesting. So, so essentially, imposter syndrome can be reinforced because of AI and chatbots. Ultimately, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, because you're at the, I guess, the sharp end of this, and do do you think that institutions like, I guess it's, I guess it's whatever their narrative is, but do institutions need to be, is there is there a, an ethical awareness that they need to have within their organisations, or, or I guess again, I guess it's what their narrative is. Do they want to perpetuate this, or is it just that they're just naive to it, or am I being, or am I being naive about? No, I mean, 100% organisations have to tackle this. Organisations have a social, ethical, moral, legal duty to make, well, legal, maybe that's a bit more contentious, mm. but they have a duty, in my view, to make workplaces inclusive, equal, diverse. And the technology industry uh, isn't alone in being imbalanced, but it is imbalanced. There's a predominance of men and there's also a sort of culture of misogyny that's you know, saturated the industry for some time and that absolutely needs to be addressed and in the AI sector we see a particularly strong imbalance um, so I don't know 18% of authors at leading 21 conferences in the field are women 80% uh, of AI professors are men um, you know, there's lots of huge evidence huge to show that this is really, really problematic. On the other hand, when I go to technology conferences, some the the women that are leading in these fields are amazing. Mm. They're so inspirational. They are so intelligent and brilliant. And we just need more balance. I mean, it's it's one part of a, a, a bigger picture. We need to have diverse teams. We need to have proper representation in the technology industry, as well as other measures like regulation, like governance to to really tackle this. But, yeah, it's a huge part of it. And I think all businesses must take measures to in, ensure that they are advertising fairly, that they're recruiting fairly, that their culture at work is fair, that it's not discriminatory against people on the basis of any of the protected characteristics um and yeah we just have to have to keep going until until that actually happens yeah that's interesting i didn't have those insights until until you've just mentioned all this as ai is becoming more you know everybody's becoming aware more and more of ai even people not from a, a tech background i'm sure even if they don't know what it is certainly they're hearing about it more the term ai so so do you think there needs to be rules of engagement in terms of how businesses adopt ais or some sort of counsel to say look if you adopt if you're using ai these are the protocols that you but these are sort of the core protocols that you have to adopt to yes and actually there are 
lots and lots of different frameworks. And in fact, one of the issues is that there are lots of different frameworks mm. and globally it's it's difficult to um, find agreement and consensus about exactly which frameworks are the best frameworks. So you've got the Office for AI publishing guidelines, um, you've got CDEI, there's um, European Union guidance, there's guidance from the US. Yeah. And so actually it's about coming together to 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 say, okay, in in our country or in countries across the world, the, this is the top level framework that we're going to use to try to navigate through this terrain. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to have purposeful companies to be able to negotiate the development of artificial intelligence and the implications it has for social justice. Yeah, I totally agree. It'd be nice if there was some level of unison and there was just one agreeable framework that come adhered to. Yeah. If there's too many frameworks, clearly it's problematic. And I guess some of those frameworks don't consider biases and the, the reinforcement of negative stereotypes. And I guess as we're talking about imposter syndrome, how that will you know, reinforce people's feelings and beliefs about themselves. Yeah, exactly. I, I think companies are more and more aware and conscious of wanting to try to tackle biases in AI systems. It's a question of how you actually do it. Um, because I don't think it, we were able to sort of predict exactly the nature of how this was going to unfold. Mm. And now it's a question of really really operationalizing some of the frameworks that have been put into place because there are as i say many of them and it's about how you actually help companies implement the guidelines and the principles whether they are in a procurement process or actually building technologies but um i think that's the the next step in this in this field hopefully maybe in a year's time we can revisit and do another episode and we can see if there have been improvements in that regard you know it'd be great if there are because this if we have technology is which we want to have technology it's great if we use it in the best possible ways that everybody benefits from it and people aren't compromised new technology Exactly. And I think that actually we need, sometimes we just need to, to pause. I mean, I was at a conference last week and there was a call from Stephanie Hale, who's an amazing woman, for a, a moratorium on facial recognition until we can actually properly regulate this technology. And actually there's a call um, for a moratorium from various voices, including the AI Now Institute. And actually, I think measures like that can be really, really helpful. I mean, sometimes we need to just say we can't do this anymore until we can ensure that it's safe and that it doesn't discriminate against people and that it doesn't cause very problematic social consequences. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, because as you're talking, I'm thinking that in the in the thirst for technology advancement, you know, is, is there just a clamour just to think about technology and being the first to introduce something without thinking of the social impact? I mean, I think there can be that, yes, absolutely. Technological solutionism and the sort of excitement for what technologies can do. And I think you see that in different mindsets within different teams and companies. So you might find that 
a group of engineers are driven by wanting to improve the accuracy of a system, for example. And so by being focused on that particular goal, which may very well be a goal, um, you know, imposed by the company, that the focus on the social implications is is less. So it's it's a question of mindsets and priorities, not necessarily the case that people are sort of malevolently building systems um, deliberately, but that, uh, yeah, different priorities can have different types of consequences. Mm. I guess, you know, I guess it doesn't have to be idealistic, but it'd be nice that through time and we become aware that there are consequences to technology. Clearly, we don't want to stop technology. It's important to always push the envelope and, you know, have the best technology so we all can live better lives and safer lives and all that type of thing. But it'd be nice, and I'm not at the forefront of this at all, but it would be, in my head, logical to have, I don't know, a social element to it as well that is it's fully impinged in that process. So just so that these bottlenecks that clearly always arise, that there's there's more awareness as technology is being implemented yes i mean i do i do think that awareness raising is a really important part of of any field and the more that people can understand how algorithmic systems might impact them uh how they might understand the consequences of technology for their well-being um is the more likely we are to make better decisions about the technologies that we choose to engage with yeah it's um a fascinating subject and have we deviated from imposter syndrome <laughs> i know i know i know you know what I thought about that but i think there is some synergy just because of technology out of control can perpetuate mm. you know our own misaligned perception of how we can and can't do things so it's, it is fascinating but i do think there is a wee bit of synergy there Agreed. okay so getting back to imposter syndrome um how, how can we see when we're being affected by imposter, imposter syndrome are there sort of key signs in your opinion yeah so i think um we kind of chatted about it earlier but i i definitely think that those behavioral indicators are procrastination over preparing um the inner critic shouting loudly, uh, perfectionism, anxiety, that, you know, if you feel like those are sort of bubbling up, they're definitely markers that you might be in this sort of territory. Okay, perfect. And at those times, if we, if we see those situations arising, then we, that then that's our catalyst to think, actually, the imposter syndrome's kicking in. Paul, I need to take a moment and then crack on and do that thing that I've been procrastinating about yeah I mean that sort of list of things that can be helpful that we went through earlier I guess that's Mm. you know turning to maybe some of those tactics um if you notice this coming up recognizing that this isn't something that's just magically appeared in your head that it's a result of the society that we live in and that it's a matter of partly social justice but also self-care that we find ways to perhaps collectively recognize the issue and find kind of kind ways of overcoming it balancing the need to 
of course, sharpen your skills and learn and grow and develop and push yourself at times, but also recognize that just pushing through it and just carrying on being productive isn't necessarily the only way yeah. to to tackle it yeah and sort of a step further in relation to imposter syndrome as individuals is it important that we as individuals recognize understand it and try and deal with it because if we don't we potentially won't reach our full potential as individuals because we're not imposter syndrome is sort of i don't know maybe controlling us a bit a wee bit too much yeah absolutely i mean Maya Angelou is often cited as somebody that, despite being such an amazing individual, also had imposter syndrome. And imagine if she had stopped doing the brilliant work that she did because of that or, you know, or if it stopped any of the other amazing people that you might admire. You know, lots of bright people experience this and it would be a real shame if it wasn't managed in a way that sort of allows them to express their brilliant ideas and improve on society i mean i experienced imposter syndrome in setting up feminist internet for example okay wow um sort of various reasons like feeling that i didn't almost qualify to call myself a feminist perhaps because i hadn't studied it enough i didn't Mm. have enough theoretical knowledge about it maybe I haven't struggled enough hadn't faced enough oppression to claim that term as my own but actually I figured that in the end it was more important to try to contribute towards changing circumstances for the better than than letting that get in the way of making a difference and that's kind of what I mean by sometimes if you are able to focus on uh, a social goal or sort of a more value-led approach it can help you sort of override those personal feelings in service of that bigger cause no that's interesting and you think about if you hadn't used a social goal or a bigger purpose to help you with the feminist internet think about all those people that you wouldn't have touched and helped exactly. if you hadn't conquered your imposter syndrome so there's like a domino effect you know if you hadn't navigated that process you wouldn't have been able to touch so many people around the world exactly and it's not sort of saying you know all your listeners have a social duty to overcome this problem if they're experiencing it that it's not that it's more that you have the opportunity to to reach out and help people and support other people and the motivation to do that can help to mm. alleviate the problems if you if you see that as being a more important um thing than than the, the the feelings that you're not worthy if you see what i mean yeah i love that that's something because it's like breaking it down a little bit and making it more manageable and recognizing that what you do is a contribution that it yeah. has value yeah yeah and and in the moment you, you kind of don't do that because mm. you're just sort of besieged with the fact that, you know, you, you, I guess we sometimes we suffer in silence and without knowing these tricks and tools that you've outlined, you don't think about maybe a motivation to help others or a social place in the social impact of what you're doing above your own insecurities. You don't think about that. So it's great to sort of have those outlined here. Cool. When I was looking into this, I found various articles that were saying that some estimates say that 
as many as 70% of people have experienced imposter syndrome. So, so, so a lot of us do suffer from this. Absolutely. It's really, it's very common. Okay. So what I'm keen to do now, we're, we're sort of getting towards the end now, and I always ask people this question. If you could invite three inspirational people for dinner, who would you invite? I love this question. Um, it's hard to narrow it down to three, but I would invite Ada Lovelace because she invented computer programming and she could tell us about her philosophies of mathematics, which would be amazing. I would also invite Tara Brack because she's a wonderful meditation teacher and writer and I love listening to her podcasts and so I'd love to listen to her in real life. And I would also invite my partner's mum because she was a very strong spiritual Jamaican woman who I never got to meet but I wish I could have met her before she passed away so that would be my that would be my top three that sounds like a fabulous top three (laughs) and what's great about your partner's mum it's great that her spirit still lives on exactly and that's the thing it's sort of it's so amazing to feel like somebody has a presence yeah um and I always imagine what it would be like if I could have met her and so that would be my that would be my dream fantastic fantastic Charlotte thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure the whole process talking with you and sharing ideas and just learning a little bit more about your world has been fabulous so where can people find you when can I get access to all your wonderful things that you do um so feministinternet.com please visit the website you can follow us on social media it's basically just feminist internet um you can email me at charlotte at feministinternet.com if people want to collaborate or um have a, a workshop for their organization or college or school or university we're always very welcome for being approached about those things and yeah thank you so much it's been a real pleasure no it's been a a real pleasure and I definitely will keep tabs on what you're doing I think what you're doing is fabulous and it's just bringing more knowledge and better understanding to the world and for everybody so yeah so thank you so much and thanks everybody for listening you can find me on www.myperfectfailure.com I'm on insta at padsmpf Twitter is failure underscore perfect. And please, please, please do leave a review. That always is always very helpful. And please look out for new episodes of My Perfect Failure coming out very soon. Goodbye, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to My Perfect Failure podcast. Be sure to visit www.myperfectfailure.com to join the conversation. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Look out for our next episode.